the way we see this is we see AI as complementary to human being. I think few of us will be interested in keep on doing repetitive tasks. So if we can enable human colleagues to, I guess, in a way, outsource the relatively boring repetitive tasks to their AI counterpart and enable human colleagues to do things that only humans can do, I think that could make people's work more interesting and more rewarding. So that's the angle where we're coming from. This is Startup Island Taiwan. Everything about Taiwan and cutting-edge technology, startup unicorns, and connections to the world. Welcome to the Startup Island Taiwan podcast. My name is John from Agenometry. I'm your guest host today. And I'm here today with Wei Ting, founder of ARC. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Good to see you. Nice to be here. So your business works kind of like recruiting, right? Or remote recruiting. Yes. So I guess some quick background story. This year marks the 10-year anniversary. So I started this company back in 2013 as a solo founder. And the original company's platform was actually called CodeMentor. So this company was started as CodeMentor. As the name suggested, it is a live one-on-one mentorship platform for software developers to learn how to become better programmers from one another. It grew to become the biggest of its kind. But in about two years or so, we started to just see a strong market demand of our students or just users in general just asking us, that with all these great developers, instead of hiring them as mentors, can I just hire them to work for us or to join us, our team, either as freelance developers or as permanent um, employees. So that's why we started to tap into the recruiting side of the business. And around 2019, we decided to formally start this new platform called Arc. That's arc.dev. And since then, Arc has become the main um, focus of the company. That's really interesting because I've heard of Code Mentor before. Like, do you still run a code mentoring platform as well? Yeah. So we see ourselves as a remote work company with a dual platform strategy. So Code Mentor is this developer community where we have hundreds of thousands of developers worldwide helping each other become better developers. And for the ones who want to get a great remote opportunities or freelance opportunities, they can go to Arc. Um, to find great opportunities there. What was that sort of like in the kind of those early days of doing Code Mentor? Like what brought you to this business? I'm a serial entrepreneur. So even though I studied computer engineering back then, I never saw myself as a great engineer. So the inside joke is that Code Mentors would never be founded by a great developer themselves, <laughs> right? So, so just because I'm a crappy developer, so I stumble a lot, I program myself quite a lot. So I've always imagined that if I can just um, beam one of my friends working at Google for them to help me debug this programming challenge that I have, that would be amazing, right? So that's why I started Commenter. So that was like a platform, right? So yeah. did you envision it to be kind of like a one-on-one tutoring kind of like that? Yeah. So at that time, the analogy that reporters have used us us at that time include Uber for coding help or Tutor ABC, but for for live program software development, right? So it's meant to be live one-on-one. And um, it's actually quite a magical experience, to be honest with you. We have a lot of happy customers. Um, Some of them are well-known. For example, I remember the CTO of HubSpot himself, Dharmesh Shah. He used Commenter back then to help him get unstuck a certain program issue. So that's what we've, we've had like some great success stories here and there. 
What were you doing at the time? Like, um, were you working another job? Like, what moved you to jump into this? Right. So, Commenter is not my first company. So, I'm a serial entrepreneur. So, I've been starting startups since say 2006, 2007. So, my first company joined Y Combinator back in its very early days. And I moved back to Taiwan around 2009-ish. I was helping my brother building up his um, social media marketing company in the early 2010s. But then I've always wanted to start another company targeting the global market. And around 2012, 2013-ish, I was essentially trying out different projects, right? And the founding story of Co-Mentor was that I was actually hanging out at a coffee shop called Yang Door, Yang Douzi, near the Beihan area by the ocean side and I was just hanging out with my wife um, at that time. I was just trying to come up with new startup ideas around that time and that's when I decided to, okay, co-mentor, this idea has been sitting on my notepad for a month or two now. Let's just focus on this as my primary focus going forward. So that's basically the official birthday of co-mentor and it's been more than 10 years. And then like when you started ARC, and that was kind of like a new business for you. Like, what was sort of the strategy that you had working around it? Like, did you consider other options, like start spinning it off as a separate business? Or that's kind of an interesting decision to have them sort of side by side, right? Right. It's always an important strategic decision that we have to make, right? So the timing is actually, now looking back, it's actually quite interesting because we decided to, in a way, spin out another platform called Arc, still within the same company, in 2019. So that was actually before COVID. So before COVID, we saw saw remote work as this emerging trend that we were expecting to continue to grow, to become mainstream, hopefully years down the road, right? And we just decided, I think there's a lot of potential synergies between the two platforms, Commenter and Arc, for the reasons that I briefly mentioned earlier. I think it's advantageous for us to have a vibrant developer community and they can just help each other become better developers. Historically, that has also been a great sourcing channel for developers looking for work as well. So that's how we made the decision back then. How did you get your first users? Back in 2013, a long time ago, what we did was we did a show Hacker News. It's a very popular Reddit-like site for technologists, hackers, engineers, and so forth. At that time, Commenter was merely a landing page with a private beta sign-up. And we're fortunate to get on the front page of Hacker News for about a day or so. And that got us a first few thousand of sign-up. And that actually gave me a huge confidence boost. Because remember, at that time, I was still, the entire Commenter was still one single person. That was me. I remember I was actually, it's around like 11 p.m. I was like literally like using my laptop on my bed watching TV. I was like, okay, let me just launch Commenter on Hacker News around that time. And then I just went to sleep. And then upon waking up, to my surprise, I was very happy to find that, oh, it actually blew up relatively uh, on Hacker News. In a way, that was the first traction that Commenter got in the first place. You must have been like, now I have to build it, right? Yeah, in a way. Yeah, so it's actually a good, uh, I guess, self-forcing function for me. And then how did you recruit your team afterwards? Like, did you kind of just say, call up all your friends and say, right. let's do so this? So we raised some funding around that time and we actually got into Techstars. Uh, so we went through the Techstars Seattle program back in 2013. I was still very grateful of the experience there. And after that, we just decided to, you know what? The plan was always being, let's just keep our engineering team 
in Taiwan, we may want to keep a sales office. At that time, it was prior to remote work. Maybe we still keep an office in, in the Bay Area, something like that. So we decided to start recruit in Taiwan and we hire a few great early engineers. One of them, his name is Gage. He's still with us up to today and he basically does everything. He operates even more like a CEO than I do. His official title is COO, but he basically does everything. Yeah, so we are able to recruit great, smart, very proactive, passionate people in Taiwan and they became the core team of our business. How did you pitch them? Like, what was what did you tell them? Like, what did you show them to kind of get them to sign on? Because it's kind of really interesting to find those people. Historically, there hasn't been that many great software startups that achieve success at this global scale in Taiwan. And that's basically the angle. Like, we are a global market from day one. We are working on a very interesting idea that could solve a real world problem. And um, let's just prove to the world that a great team in Taiwan can build fabulous stuff for the world. Yeah, it does seem like you guys succeeded, yeah. Yeah, I guess we, are, we always see ourselves as a work in progress. Right now, we have about 60, 70-ish people. We're not just a Taiwan-only team, so we see ourselves as a remote-first global team. So in addition to having colleagues in Taiwan, we also have team members in the U.S., Canada, Latin America, Europe, and other parts of Asia. I want to talk a little bit about this sort of trend of remote. You said that you started with remote before COVID. So how did that sort of come out? Like, how did you see the seeds of this trend? And like, how did that sort of jump out at you? Yeah, so I have been working remotely personally since, say, 2006. So even in my first YC startup, we were a remote company. I don't think we call ourselves a remote. The word remote did not exist at that time. It was more like work at home, (laughs) probably. (laughs) So it was um, less sexy. Back then, we almost had to hide the fact that we had no office at that time. But just because my co-founder at that time in my previous company operated in Vancouver, I was in the Bay Area. We have other team members in other parts of the North America, right? So we had no office. So historically, I'm personally quite familiar with remote work. And in the early phase of our company, we also work remotely. So for example, Gage, after joining our company, he actually decided to move out of Taiwan. And we're actually very accommodating, right? So unlike in other situations where colleagues had to leave the organization because they are no longer based in that country, um, we were very flexible. So we decided to become one of the earlier adopters of remote work from the organization perspective, right? So we actually invested in a lot of remote collaboration technology back then, very early on, and ourselves are very familiar. And because CoMentor itself, in a way, we're helping companies getting matched with developers for mentorship for freelance projects, even early on then, right? So we are very familiar with identifying great talent worldwide, Right. And helping them connect with companies. At that time, it was for mentorship. It was for part-time freelance work. But around 2018, 2019, I realized that the infrastructure at that time has been a lot better than a decade ago. Right. There was Zoom, there was Slack. They have all been adopted mainstream. And we're seeing great companies getting built from the grounds up from day one as a distributed remote organization. And We also think that if the world, if the entire world can become even more remote friendly, that can be a huge net positive for the entire world. We're now talking about people's career will not be locally bound by local opportunities. Historically, work has been a very local endeavor. But if you can use technology to enable, say, a person based in Taiwan or based in, say, Argentina 
to work for Facebook in the U.S. or work for your latest hot YC startup in the U.S.、Uh, that could be a huge game-changing opportunity to level the playing field for everybody, right? So basically, we want to contribute to the vision and the mission that if you are a great talent, your opportunity should not be limited just by the place that you're born. So I think that's a worthwhile endeavor.、Um, that's why we decided to launch Arc. What are some advice you would give to like you know other founders like yourself who may not have been familiar with remote, especially in Taiwan, right? I feel like that's been a big challenge for them. Like, what advice would you give them to help transition to more remote friendly? I think there's definitely pros and cons with remote work. Lately, there's also been quite a few smart people, guys like Sam Altman, that says, "Oh, remote work is this experiment that may or may not work so well." But remote work is still a great mode of work. Especially if your organization can become remote friendly, it will enable you to recruit great talent that do not reside in your city. And if your existing team members decide to migrate out of the city that they live in, you can still enable them to continue to to work with you. So I think one of the biggest bottleneck for founders in Taiwan is I'll say this preference slash fear. Of not seeing your colleagues in front of you, you can package it as the preference of working together. I'll bet many of them have this fear of not seeing their colleagues in front of them, i.e., they're not doing their work. So if they can really observe their own fear in that and just ask themselves whether that's really true, I think that's one advice I can give them. So, what approach do you take to kind of make sure that there are no? Because I have also sometimes worked. Remote, and I'm like, I feel a little bit that I'm not really doing all I can as well. So I'm just curious that, like, do you do like any trackers, or do you kind of like make sure that they have to be available on Slack? Is there any sort of like practices that you implement at Arc? To be honest, not really. I think a lot of it comes down to trust, right? Even for a lot of the typical organizations who ask colleagues to come to their office, usually they might have one or two senior team members who don't live in Taipei or don't live in the Bay Area, and they will just enable them to do remote work. Primarily because there's this trust, they trust them that they will not be sacking off, even they don't see them on an hourly basis in front of them, right? So I think it's all about. Whether trust, of course, I, it's easy for me to say, oh, you should just trust all of your colleagues and to do to give your one hundred percent all the time, right? But I think in a way, it's also on the flip side, it's also up to the team members and employees this time to how can you earn the trust of the managers that you can continue to do great work without being bound by by the office. Honestly, my personal honest assessment is,、um, in terms of personal productivity, I think there's no difference、um, between. Working at home versus working at the office—it actually depends on personal preference, right? There are people who are more productive working at the office, and there are people who will be more productive working at home. So I think, in terms of personal productivity, in terms of remote work, it's definitely on par, right? It's actually the organizational productivity that can be a challenge for many organizations, right? So you actually, the organization really needs to be optimized for remote work from the ground up. In order for them to do that, so honestly, it all comes down to personal preference. Um, in my based on YC, and because of COVID, or even before COVID, there are actually a lot more founders or senior managers who prefer working remotely, and as a result, they have been crafting their organizations to enable remote work. And we're actually seeing a good numbers of that, like startups being founded during COVID. Right, they're very used to working remotely, and hence we definitely foresee remote work to continue.
What was your experience during COVID? Like they just see this remote surge happening in real time, right? It was actually quite lucky. So we're actually one of the few organizations who successfully transitioned from a co-located organization to a remote first organization, mm-hmm. right? Because even after we launched Arc, at that time, Arc slash Comenter still had a physical office in Taiwan. But at that time, 2019, that was pre-COVID. Basically, we say, okay, now we are an organization with an office preaching remote work. Perhaps we should have a remote work day. So every Wednesday at that time, we encourage people to not come to the office. As funny as it sounds, that's actually what we did around that time. And then later, um, we just basically flipped it so that, you know what, let's just become even more remote friendly. So every day except Wednesday, you're encouraged not to come to the office. So Wednesdays became work at the office day. And because we've done that, so when COVID outbreak around March 2020, we're actually very well equipped to be ready for that. I recall around that time, many organizations, I guess in Taiwan at that time, were absolutely not prepared, but we're totally prepared. So I remember sharing some recommendations around that time on social media as well. How do you like perhaps recommend that like an organization like yourself that's kind of making that transition? I recall something like GitLab has like this open, like they have this huge, all these principles or all these rules and stuff like that or guidelines. Like, did you have anything like that to help kind of enforce these norms across the companies? So we try to do that as well. And we also try to curate the best possible resources that we have observed from the internet, such as GitLab's. But there are different types of remote work organizations such as GitLab's. They are probably the extreme case where there's just a lot of asynchronous work that's being done. So organizations like those preach for a lot of written communication and they even discourage meetings or even synchronous communication as much as possible. Whereas organizations operate in the same time zone, they would opt for, I guess, depending on what kind of communications, oftentimes just hop onto like very quick calls as much as possible. But if there are team members outside of your time zones or who can join your in-person meeting just to write a simple write-up in written form, just to make sure that people who didn't join the meeting can be informed of the decision made as well. And then what communication tools or whatnot have you adopted since then to help with this? So we've, we've tried a bunch. I guess the ones that we still use today regularly are basically the popular ones that you probably have heard of as well. Uh, we use Notion quite a lot. I guess we're probably power users. We have a few individual colleagues who are very, very good at Notion. I was very impressed by their <laughs> Notion magic. We also use a bunch of different video tools. Other than Zoom, we also use Around plus a few others. So now you have this sort of marketplace, right? We're trying to connect remote developers and companies. So what was the launch like and how has that sort of scaled up over the over the years? How's right. that been going? Right. So we launched Arc in 2019 and after COVID, it has been a roller coaster ride. In COVID, I remember in Q2, our entire company was very, very flat, right? Because the entire world was very, very scared at that time. People were afraid of the world entering another recession. So our new business at that time, which is we empower companies to hire great remote engineers for permanent full-time role. That business was ice cold in early 2020. But second half of 2020, things came back on track. So we started to, to grow, I guess, because at, at that time, valuation became better. So later 2020, 2021, our company actually got 
quite a boost. In a way, remote work became mainstream, so our entire business was definitely helped by that. But because we're in the recruiting space, so it's actually very, I guess, heavily influenced by the market、um, in the United States because most of our clients are still startups. Tech companies based in the U.S. So when the U.S. macro decided to go sideways, I guess last year, so our company revenue outlook needs to be changed as well. So we've been making a lot of different adjustments at that time. And of course, being an entrepreneur myself, I'm always looking to create new products that can help serve our customers. So this year's the age of the AI. We've actually launched our own AI product called Hire AI. A few months ago, so we see that as a AI recruiter, an AI recruiting tool that can help founders or recruiters working at startup to hire great talent worldwide without spending too much of their time. Right, so we're very excited. What misconceptions might they have going into kind of hiring a remote dev that you want to kind of dispel right now? I guess for the ones who have not hired remote colleagues in the past. Of, of course, like being remote ready is one of them. Another one is they might not be accustomed to, I guess, different cultures worldwide. So I've actually seen like founders who have not worked with international colleagues before. Some of them would have a very very high bar in terms of their verbal English communication skill, for example, right? So I think that has to do with a person's lack of familiarity. Working with people outside of the U.S., and I think if they can try working with a few people who do not have English as their first language, and then see what a great engineer they are, despite of having accent、um, in their verbal communications, I think that would be wonderful. How do you kind of help these companies overcome like time zone differences, right? Because I've done a lot of calls with the U.S.、Right. and that's pretty rough.、Right. Yes, to be honest with you,、um, time zone is the most important factor、oh, um, really? in terms of companies whether deciding they want to hire someone remotely or not. So usually, companies they don't need to have complete overlap, but usually they would strongly prefer two to four hours at least of overlaps with all of their colleagues. Because of that, there's a reason why Latin America is the most popular region for us. Because South America, Latin America, they have a, a lot of time zone overlap with the United States. For the folks, for companies based in Eastern time zone, that's why Europe can be acceptable because there's still a few hours of overlap. It's actually a reason why Asia traditionally has not been that popular in terms of U.S.-based companies hiring for remote engineers.、Yeah. Just because of in terms of time zone, it could be quite horrible, especially if you are based on the East Coast. The twelve-hour difference means no overlap. So basically, you would have to be a asynchronous first company for you to be based in New York while hiring a engineer based in Taiwan. That's pretty much right. Yeah. <laughs> right, and we've actually talked to a few engineers based in Taiwan, whom we have placed them into our、uh, the companies of our clients. I guess time zone differences can be challenging, right? Because a lot of people will be allured to, well, remote work sounds is really good. You get to live in Taiwan and earn a global salary. That sounds amazing. But I guess the downside of remote work could be time zone issue. It depends from organization to organization. It's definitely possible for you to wake up at weird hours or stay up late for late night meetings. It's definitely possible. And also another common thing is that there 
will be no, I guess, face-to-face interaction with your colleagues, right? So the sense of being part of a big family, being part of a team, just like the camaraderie, it could be lacking if you are very, very distant. Do you think that you'll see more companies going remote now that are based in Asia, like Asian companies, or do you feel like right now there's still a bit of a cultural barrier to adopting more or hiring more remote workers? I really think it's a function of how big of a challenge it is for them to hire great talent locally. So I think for a certain type of talent, if we expect technical talent shortage to continue, I think remote work will continue to thrive um, in the regions. Right. So in the case of, say, in the U.S., I think that will continue to thrive because it's impossible for companies to hire great engineers solely in the U.S. unless you're one of the hottest companies. I would see then that it's like certain companies in like Singapore or something would definitely be more open to the sort of remote work because it just it's so hard to find new people. And in a way, Taiwan has been a benefactor of that. The type of remote work that I'm talking about is international companies coming into Taiwan and set up engineering offices in Taiwan. In a way, that's also a form of remote work. And we're actually seeing a large number of that, even more. In a way, the secret is out that Taiwan has great, amazing technical talent and all these great companies internationally are coming in. How's that been more challenging for other companies, like smaller companies in Taiwan to hire? Like, do you see them turning to remote work? We have not seen that, although I think we're seeing early signs of interest. It has definitely become more challenging for startups to hire locally in Taiwan just because the competition has become more fierce. But again, I think it's also a function of what kind of market we're in because of the macro right now. I think we are definitely in more of an employer market right now. So on average, companies are having an easier time hiring for talent anywhere right now. Jumping on that thread. So if you're a person who is joining Arc.dev or looking for remote opportunities, what are some things that you might do or be able to do to kind of show your abilities to stand up over the rest of the crowd? So we have been building a few tools. We also have human recruiters who will definitely be available to guide them one-on-one to help them optimize their resume, help them do interview practice, host several internal workshops. I guess the amount of delta that we can provide is definitely quite substantial, especially for talent who have not worked remotely in the past, whether you're engineers based in Taiwan or engineers based in Argentina, a lot of times it has to do with the cultural small form factors. For example, the way you format your resume, small things such as you don't need to add a photo of yours on your resume if you are to apply to an international or US-based company. For example, small things such as that. Also, coaching these great engineers to better market themselves in the US. That's actually something that I think would be very helpful because I was not aware that in Taiwan that you have to put a picture. I was like, this is this is very strange. Right. Yeah. But it's basically it's it's just small things here and there. Do you feel like um that the, the talents in Argentina or Taiwan are like aware that they're or like less than confident that they can be hired by these international companies? Do you feel like that they're a little kind of self-deprecating or too humble about it? On average, I think yes, because people don't know that's possible. So it's all about there's this knowledge gap. Of course, there are always great globally minded young graduates who would definitely know, yes, I'm just as good as your typical graduate of UC Berkeley. Why shouldn't I be making 100K per year while I live in Taiwan? It is possible as long as you have the skills that's desirable on the global market. 
it is possible for you to work at a great international company. What's kind of some good ways that you've suggested to find more people to find these talents? Because that's maybe part of the job too, is to kind of source these people from places that might not be necessarily easy to find. Like, how did you get the word out? So we do have a lot of partnership with many different. Communities worldwide,、uh, we partner with different developed communities, and we also host online job fairs once every few months or so. We actually do have one coming up,、um, so it's like an AI theme job fair. So anyone, any great developers who are interested in pursuing a career in AI. Can join us. We also will have talks by other engineers who have been working remotely. So it's all about like events such as these ones, right? We want to continue to educate the market to preach to developers everywhere that remote work is possible, and here's how you do it. And the goal is not just focused on the developers. Software engineering is the first step. We always do plan to expand to other verticals. That's actually interesting. Like, what other verticals are you thinking about? Because a lot of people, when they say, you know, hiring remote, they always think programmers, right? What other kind of fields are there that might be available? Organically, we've always been helping our existing clients to place site designers. There are already like roles that are adjacent to software engineering, so designers, copywriters. Marketers, I would say, all possible roles that tech companies have openings for would be a good point of expansion for us. I want to change direction a little bit. What do you think about like the impact of like a ChatGPT for like maybe not necessarily Arc.dev, but like CodeMentor? Like a lot of people use ChatGPT to help with their code, right? Like, what do you think is sort of the Kind of the ups and downs of that. You're right. We actually do see the possibilities of certain use cases on Commenter being replaced by ChatGPT because we sometimes use ChatGPT ourselves, and we're quite astonished by how good it is. So we definitely see certain use cases、um, to be, in a way, competed away by ChatGPT and similar services. But I think there are still things that AI cannot do right now, and even us started this. AI recruiting tool called Hire AI. The way we see this is we see AI as complementary to human being. I think few of us will be interested in keep on doing repetitive tasks. So if we can enable human colleagues to, I guess, in a way, outsource the relatively boring repetitive tasks to their AI counterpart and enable human colleagues to do things that only humans can do. I think that could make people's work more interesting and more rewarding. So that's the angle where we're coming from. What do you think that those tasks are like? The humans can only do, and if that is going to get smaller over the years. For now, I think the repetitive things will be, for example, like sourcing developers. Anyway, those are not necessarily repetitive, but it's actually it requires smart algorithms to do. So it's actually something that AI can do better than human beings right now. But the things that human beings can do better now, including well, actually talking to the candidates and try to sell. Try to pitch this company to them and make sure that the candidate is really excited about joining this company. And even if you're a headhunter, I try to coach them to see how they can interview better with these particular set of companies. Or even when they receive offers, I、right, help them negotiate better or help them decide whether company A or company B which ones are better for you. So those are actually real skills that senior recruiters、um, have that junior ones don't, or even the AI their AI counterparts do not have. So, what's kind of the future holds for the other companies? Like, what are you excited for in the next couple of years? So, we see ourselves as a mission-driven company. 
So it really warms my heart if we can continue to help great talent, no matter where they are, to continue to establish a great remote career where they live. And I think by having co-mentor to continue to educate the market, to help people become better in their crafts and to build ARC to the best possible remote work platform to connect great remote talent with organizations worldwide. I think with our new product, Hire AI, we have a great shot of doing that. Thank you. We think, thank you so much. Thank you.